Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. This is Charlotte Talks. I'm Sarah D'Elia in for Mike Collins. Public radio listeners will likely recognize the voice and work of one of today's guests. Journalist Stephanie Fu has worked as a producer for hit shows, including This American Life and Snap Judgment, and she can now add author to her long list of accomplishments. If you look at Fu's life from the outside, she had everything going for her, a successful journalism career, working at her dream job, supportive friends, and a happy relationship. But for months, she experienced panic attacks at her desk, which set her on a journey to better understand her mental health. And it turns out she was carrying an immense weight caused by unaddressed trauma from her abusive childhood. In 2018, she was diagnosed with complex PTSD, an under-researched condition caused by repeated trauma over a long period of time. In a quest to understand her diagnosis and to provide a pathway for others dealing with trauma, she wound up producing her own story, interviewing experts in the field and testing therapies. The result is her new book, What My Bones Know, a memoir of healing from complex trauma. Stephanie Fu joins us now alongside her therapist, Dr. Jacob Hom, a clinical psychologist and associate clinical professor of psychiatry and the director for the Center for Child Trauma and Resilience at Mount Sinai in New York. He's a key part of her work as she unravels her complex trauma and finds her way to healing. Thanks to you both for joining me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So Stephanie, I'm going to start with you. As journalists, we focus on telling other people's stories. And I wanted to ask you when you knew that it was time to tell your own story, was there an aha moment for you that you knew you had a story to tell? I think it was pretty soon after diagnosis. Um, Actually, it was kind of maybe the day that I was diagnosed when I started Googling complex PTSD and I saw that there were no personal first-person stories um, about complex PTSD. Obviously, I had made these kinds of stories hundreds of times before for Snap Judgment and This American Life, and I knew the value that those stories can have on normalizing conditions and making people feel seen and heard. And so I understood pretty immediately that I would need to, if I could heal from complex PTSD, I would need to share my personal story about it. And a big part of your personal story that you get into in the book is some of the childhood abuse that you encountered in throughout childhood and teenage years. And I wonder for folks that haven't read the, read the book yet, if you could kind of set up and give us like a glimpse of some of those important parts that you highlight in the book. Yeah. um, Complex PTSD happens when um, the trauma happens many, many times over the course of years, um, usually from people who are supposed to love and care for you. Um, And so those were my parents who um, unfortunately were extremely um, emotionally, very physically um, and verbally abusive to me. I fought for my life many times growing up and uh, my mom abandoned me when I was 13 and my dad abandoned me when I was 16. So I spent the last couple of years, the last couple of years of high school um, living on my own. Um, And I've been 
sort of on my own since then, which did not set up a great uh, foundation for me for understanding how to love and be loved, unfortunately. Well, we talk about this diagnosis of complex PTSD, which you received in 2018. Dr. Hom, I wanted to see if you could give our listeners just kind of the basic definition of what this is and how it's different from regular PTSD. Well, I, I think Stephanie said it. It's uh, repeated traumas um, that happen over the course of a lifetime. The earlier it happens, the worse it is. And if it is um, perpetrated at the hands of those who are supposed to love and protect you, then it's really, really, really difficult to make sense of. Um, because as uh, small creatures, our first instinct when we are in danger is to run towards our parents or other people who are supposed to love and protect us. But if they are the ones who are hurting us, then it puts us in this stuck loop of always wanting protection from something, but being afraid of that same thing. And it becomes a bind that's really hard to overcome. And is it often misdiagnosed as something else like depression or or something else, is it is it often misdiagnosed? It's, yes, that's the short answer. <laughs> um, it manifests as behavior problems in children. It manifests as depression and anxiety, or anything, almost anything, except for maybe like the really hardcore biological disorders look like complex PTSD. And there was even an effort by um, a group of us to submit a new diagnosis into the DSM just to like differentiate P complex PTSD from regular PTSD. And it was rejected because one, the clinical, the field trials weren't fully done, but also the, the more theoretical issue was that it looked like everything else. It basically captured all the disorders of childhood. And it was like dysregulation of body, dysregulation of emotions, dysregulation of interpersonal interactions. And so they, they thought it was too broad of an umbrella category. You have this really great analogy, Dr. Hum, for treating trauma and going on that journey. And I know, Stephanie, that's kind of what drew you to seeking him out. It's, it's about um, the Incredible Hulk which I kind of, I've listened to you talk about this a couple of times. And at first I was like, how could the Incredible Hulk possibly have anything to do with trauma and treatment? But it does. And I was wondering if you could walk our listeners through that. Um, sure. Um, one, first of all, the Incredible Hulk's origin story was actually that of an ab abused boy. His father was, um, had a substance use disorder and he used to uh, be afraid of his son and used to hurt him physically and emotionally. And his mother used to try to intervene from that. And I think he used to also hurt her. And um, I think the Hulk saw his father kill his mother in front of him. Uh, so he has um, emotional, physical abuse and domestic violence. And um, I mean, he was super smart. So maybe he wasn't, maybe he was bullied as a kid too, who knows. Um, and uh, the only difference between him and other children with complex trauma is that he was infected with gamma radiation, which made, which meant that anytime he had a trauma trigger, a fear response, he turned into this green, enormous, powerful thing where his rage became manifest as the Hulk. And um, what's perfect about the Hulk is that um, as his trauma gets, as his trauma reaction becomes more intense, his IQ drops precipitously. He can't 
he can't think clearly. He uses like two word sentences like Hulk smash, Hulk bent mad. And, um, and also most importantly, like, um, you can't stop the Hulk. You can't say Hulk. If you throw another car, you're going to get a timeout or you're going to be disciplined in some way. It just makes him more and more angry because it feels like a threat. And this is what people with trauma undergo so much. Um, and so you really had to just give people with trauma time to calm down. And that's what the Hulk needs to. And the last thing that's super important about the Hulk is that when he is out of his trauma reactive Hulk state, he looks at the destruction he's created and he's like, what have I done? I've done it again. I've created so much havoc. And he spends the rest of his life trying to exercise the Hulk from him. And a lot of trauma people have so much self-hatred and self-loathing because of the way they react to other people. And so then it, it reinforces the idea that you're not lovable, which is the first trauma to begin with. And the Hulk is not a villain. Yes, thank you. And the last thing is that um, it's a perfect metaphor because the Hulk is one of our most beloved superheroes. And so many of us hate our trauma reactions and we have to, we have to learn to love the, those trauma reactions because those are what saved our lives. They're strategies to cope with threat and danger that were very adaptive for us at some point in our lives, but they become sticky over the course of time. If you're just joining us, my guests today are journalist and author Stephanie Fu. We're discussing her new book, What My Bones Know. And she's also joined by Dr. Jacob Hom, a clinical psychologist and Stephanie's personal therapist who is featured in the book. So we were just talking about that analogy of the Incredible Hulk. And Stephanie, I know that's kind of, you. I think you heard that on a podcast. You heard Dr. Hom talking about that and, and you sought him out after that to do an interview with him. But before you all connected, you go throughout the book and detail all the many therapists that you encounter along your, your journey. Um, and so, and some of those therapists were great. Sometimes you learn tools for them. Some of them were also not so good. So could you share with our listeners, like what were the biggest challenges with finding the right care that you knew that you needed? I think that goes back to what Dr. Holm was talking about, about it not being included in the DSM. Um, I think that unfortunately, a lot of therapists have not been trained to deal specifically with complex PTSD, which it does have, you know, very unique uh, treatment plan. Um, I think um, that unfortunately I was, uh, I saw therapists who um, just weren't trained properly. I saw therapists who were really keen on pathologizing, which was really detrimental to my healing. They would sort of just yell out um, terrible behaviors that I had. And they were like, oh, you, you know, you're codependent. You only love broken birds. You're this, you're that. And, you know, for one of the main um symptoms of complex PTSD is self-loathing and despair, which <laughs> that did not help those symptoms at all. Um, I had a, a therapist who hid my diagnosis, my diagnosis of complex PTSD from me for eight years before finally uh, diagnosing me. Um, so all of that, I think, made it really difficult to find the help that I needed. Um, I think also, there's just a very personal thing about finding the right therapist. You have to be able to just jive with them and trust them. 
And one therapist who could be incredibly useful for one person could be another, another person could be driven crazy by them because they just find them very irritating <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, so I think it can be a really tricky thing. And I, I really wish that um, our government um, and our healthcare system made it much easier for us to find the help that we need. Um, like Dr. Hom, for example, I, would, I wouldn't really be able to afford him um, if he hadn't sort of agreed to help treat, treat me um, because he is such a great therapist, but he is so expensive and he doesn't accept insurance. Um, and a lot of that is because of our broken healthcare system. Yeah, I was going to mention we, we have about a minute and a half left before we have to take a quick break, but the expense that I know that was a reoccurring thing of just finding people that maybe you'd get really excited about and be like, this is a great fit. And then like, oh my gosh, it's $200 for 45 minutes. And I know I'm going to need this many sessions to get where I need to get. I mean, that's incredibly frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At a certain point of the book, I'm like, well, I could have a Lux weekend in Miami every week or every month for the cost that would have to have this therapist. And maybe that would make me happy too. Yeah. Eventually you did connect with Dr. Ham and we're going to get into the work that you all did together and explore this really unique relationship and um, the different techniques that you use to get you on your path of healing. So we're going to get back to that after this quick break. I'm talking with Stephanie Fu, author of What My Bones Know, a memoir of healing from complex trauma. Dr. Jacob Hom is also with us. He's a clinical psychologist and the director of the Center for Child Trauma and Resilience at Mount Sinai. He's also Stephanie's personal therapist. More in a moment. It's Charlotte Talks on WFAE. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte. Using Mazda's customer-centric approach to cars to create a car buying and servicing experience where the customer is the center of their business. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. You're listening to Charlotte Talks. I'm Sarah Delia, in for Mike Collins. My guest today is author and journalist Stephanie Fu, whose voice you may recognize from public radio programs like Snap Judgment and This American Life. She recently published her first book, What My Bones Know, a memoir of healing from complex trauma, which documents her path to finding a diagnosis after years of trauma and violent abuse as a child. Stephanie's therapist, Dr. Jacob Hum, a clinical psychologist and the director of the Center for Childhood Trauma and Resilience at Mount Sinai, is, who is featured in the book, is also joining us. So before the break, we were discussing the way you two met. You reached out to Dr. Hom Stephanie for an interview to learn more about how people process trauma. And at the end of the interview, he threw out this idea. What if you all work together? He would treat you for free for four months and the sessions would be recorded for you to use for a potential project. Here's a snippet of one of your sessions featured in the audio portion of What My Bones Know. It's really interesting because most people feel liberated and forgiven once they get the PTSD diagnosis. It gives a good excuse. I know. I'm just anti-excuses, I guess. So, Doc, what do I do? Well, what I heard that you want, you want unconditional love 
but still no bullshit. You want me to care enough that I push you to get better um, and that I call you on your stuff. You want me to be both tough and gentle at the same time. I hadn't outright said any of that, but yes, it was what I wanted. It sounded so impossible when he laid it out like that, though. So many contradictions, all competing for attention. I squirmed and made my body as compact as I could on his couch. Is that too needy? <laughs> no. No, it's actually quite exactly what you need. Well, that sounded good. It sounded really good. But was Dr. Hom capable of it? So, Stephanie, take us through how did this process work of having these sessions recorded and then transcribing them and, and kind of going through this edit that you all did back and forth. Like, just take our listeners through that process. Uh, so we recorded all of our sessions and immediately afterward, I would go to this cafe um, just down the block and upload all of the transcriptions or all, upload all of the audio to a transcription service. I would get the transcriptions and clean them up and make them all nice. And I'd put them into a Google Doc and I would share the Google Doc with Dr. Helm. So, and immediately I would start commenting all over the Google Doc being like, what's happening here? Um, you're being really annoying here. Oh, I'm just talking nonstop over here. What's going on? And uh, he would respond and, and be like, oh, I think, you know, you're triggered here or this is a classic case of dissociation here. Um, and it was really fascinating and helpful because, you know, especially when you're triggered or if you're in a conversation, I think you don't really know what's happening. And, and this allowed me to focus on really minute ways that I was misattuning from other people or from him um, and yourself and, and myself and kind of figure out what exactly was going on in my brain. Like, for example, there was one uh, for our very first session. Um, I went on for a really long time, just ranting. Um, and I, that was very obvious on the page. So I said, what's going on here? Um, and he commented classic case of dissociation and I scrolled up and right before um, I had uh, said that or gone on my long rant, I had talked about um, some graphic childhood abuse that I'd suffered and I clearly disassociated to talk about that and just got lost on the way. Um, and so being able to delve into those things and dissect them, it was, you know, as a radio producer, producer, you understand, uh, it was like editing my trauma out of my conversations almost. Um, and I think of course I was like uniquely prepped for this because I'm so used to hearing the sound of my own voice and editing it in a Google doc. Um, but I would recommend some form of this therapy for everyone. I think it was a really fascinating close read. And when we talk about dissociation, some folks may not be familiar with that term. Dr. Hom, could you give us a, a definition of what dissociation is? Um, I, it's actually a really hard phenomenon to capture. And maybe the most useful thing that I can say is that um, we all have these two states of mind. Like if we're continuing with the Hulk analogy, it's like the Hulk brain versus like banner brain. Maybe let's just call it that for today. Um, and dissociation is just an extreme form of Hulk brain where um, self-awareness and awareness of one's own body, 
just awareness in general disappears and all you have left is hypervigilance. And so you only see other people as threatening or, or the whole world is dangerous, maybe. That might be the easiest way to talk about it. And then this, this notion that we're talking about, the purpose of, um, the purpose of adding comments to the transcript is actually a way to redo the, those moments of dissociation with banner brain instead of Hulk brain and to like see what's happening inside of me and what's happening inside of Stephanie. And so when she would say, oh, you're being so annoying there, that was actually really, really important therapeutically because the way that I work is to always be allowing our emotions to lead what's happening between us. And so, for instance, if she says you're annoying, then it's like, oh, is it because you're starting to feel threatened or aggressive? Is the whole brain starting to kick up? Or is it because I'm doing something that's really annoying? And then if I was doing something annoying, I'd be like, yeah, that was really annoying. I was, I was a little irritated at that point. So I'm being authentic about what my own emotional experience is because I'm using banner brain to reflect on what's happening between us and inside of us. I just want to add that like dissociation can often be just kind of like the absence of emotion, just kind of going on total, like raw, what you need to function autopilot. Um, and you know, that sometimes it can be pretty debilitating if you're not like perceiving the world around you very well or at all, <laughs> or not allowing yourself to feel any feelings. But um, sometimes dissociation can be really helpful because, you know, in moments of intense stress or whatever, like right now, the fact that I'm talking to you about my childhood abuse and everything's fine and dandy that I'm like obviously disso dissociated, but it's okay. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the way, Dr. Hom, that you approach therapy in general and um, an interview that I, I think it might've been um, a back and forth that I watched on Instagram that you all did with each other. And you described this kind of work as couples counseling, but with yourself, which I thought was really interesting and like a really great way to describe this really intense kind of therapy. But that also sounds like super exhausting to me. So I'm wondering how, what advice do you have? And I'll start with you, Dr. Hum, and then ask you, Stephanie, um, what advice do you have for people that either they're doing this kind of intense therapy or therapy with something else and they hit those walls, they hit those, those blocks of exhaustion? Like, how do you keep going? Oh, it's um, the best metaphor is um, actually for anyone who's trained athletically, physically, or worked out. You, you know you have a good workout when you're exhausted at the end and you're hungry and you just need a good nap. It's the same thing. Like you don't grow unless you're like pushing yourself and, and stretching. So it's like uh, always trying to keep people at a level of discomfort where they're like breaking down old habits but not feeling overwhelmed. It's really, that's the art of doing trauma work is to keep pushing the edge of tolerance for what's doable. I think um, a lot of the things that I'm actually com combating in is that our society is like too focused on the happily ever after and the always the feel good all the time and life isn't like that it's actually um learning to embrace pain and suffering when it's actually what's happening in the moment and doing it fully so that when the pain and suffering of the moment is gone then you can be ready for the joy and the delight of the next moment and so i don't i don't believe in this idea of like minimizing suffering i i actually think that the point is to learn how to suffer with grace and dignity and, and with purpose. Mm. 
And Stephanie, what did you, when you hit those moments, I mean, I, I remember there's one part in the in the book where you just kind of detail, like, I'm just so tired and I'm frustrated that I even have to like do this work. Like, this is just not fair. And, but yet here I am doing this work. So how did you push through those moments of exhaustion? And what would you tell to uh, people that are also doing this kind of work? Honestly, for me at the moment, it, it really felt like, yeah, this sucks and this hurts, but like literally what other choice do I have? I, I have to do it. I'm here or what? (laughs) Um, So I think just the important thing to understand is kind of what off of what Dr. Hama is saying is that healing is not linear. It's not that you just feel better every single day until you're blissed out individual. Um, You heal a little bit and then you hit a wall and then it friggin' hurts. And then you have to maybe, oh my God, uh, step back and take care of yourself a little bit. Um, And just understand that like, you may be at the bottom part of the spiral, but you're going to come back up and healing is more like a spiral. Like you're always getting closer to what you need to be, but there's going to be ups and downs. Um, and that's really, really normal. Healing doesn't end. And if you are feeling sad, just remember that, you know, we need to stop pathologizing sadness, feeling sad. Everyone feels sad, not just like quote unquote normal or quote unquote damaged people, normal people feel sadness too. And that's healthy and that's okay. And there's always going to be hard things to, that you need to get through. I have two comments. One of them is that um, one of the men who inspired me to become a psychologist actually once told me, yeah, I grow in shatters too. After I was like revealing my whole story to him, he just like shrugged and said, yeah, I grow in shatters too. And it was both um, joining, but also dismissive of my pain in a good way where like, yeah, pain sucks. It does. And in a way, I, I wanted to ask Stephanie if she remembers those moments with me when you are feeling that way, whether you oh, sense sure. anything from me. Oh, sure. I, well, whether I what? Sensed anything from you? Yeah, because I'm trying to remember what I was feeling in those moments. And there's two options that I would experience. I'm trying to remember. I, I mean, what would happen is I would just get really hopeless and start saying like, oh my God, this isn't going to work. I don't know where I'm going. This is the end. Uh, <laughs> and okay. then you would, and then you would laugh at me and you'd yes. just be like, you're so stupid. And, yes. <laughs> and I'd be like, you can't call me stupid. <laughs> and you were like, you're being stupid. Um, but what did it feel like? What, what uh, did that it, it was like this, the only ridiculous part of your pain is when you think it is endless and pervasive and all encompassing and that you're a horrible person. Like that is the, because like when I would share like my really legitimate pain about like, you know, whatever trauma or somebody not connecting with me and how much it hurt, you would always be like, yeah, that is horrible. That does hurt. And you'd be there with me. Um, and it was only when I would sort of like spiral into like, there's no hope that you'd be like, you're being absurd. And it is absurd. I mean, we are all lovable and there is always hope. 
You're just joining us. My guests today are journalist and author Stephanie Fu. We're discussing her new book, What My Bones Know. And we're also joined by Dr. Jacob Hom, clinical psychologist and Stephanie's personal therapist who is featured in the book. I wanted to ask Stephanie about your process writing and how you stayed in a healthy place being able to relive a lot of this trauma that involved your parents. And if you kind of had to mentally shelf like their potential backlash or their potential feelings and managing their expectations of what this book might be in order to just be able to write. I think the really important thing about the way that I uh, wrote this book is that for two years, I didn't write the book, quote unquote, you know, like I didn't really sit down and write it with an audience. I pretty much just wrote stream of consciousness um, and I focused entirely on healing. Um, I focused on my mental health. I focused on like reading lots of uh, materials and, and going to all of this therapy. And like the, the writing was not the, the cathartic part. Like the healing was the cathartic part. Um, and then after two years of that, when I was feeling like I was in a really good place, that's when I was able to start writing. And that's why I think I was able to come to the writing um, from a place that was less emotional. Um, and I, I sort of took, I, I acted like a journalist, really. I had all this source material of these raw journal entries that I had from those two years and from my whole life, quite frankly. And I was able to like sort of steal from those journal entries to make something that felt very real and in the moment while also sort of being dissociated enough to understand like, I'm not there. I'm not like in that headspace anymore. Um, and in terms of my parents, I mean, I haven't, you know, my mom left when I was 13 and hasn't talked to me since. So I don't really think about what she thinks about my work. I tried to be really fair to them and acknowledge that they probably went through a fair amount of trauma too. And um, that was, I feel all I owed them. You do detail a little bit about their, their immigration story to America and maybe some of the trauma that they, they felt themselves. And um, I wonder, you know, we have about two minutes left before we have to take a quick break, but if you can share with our listeners how their journey to America and how they raised you as immigrants, how did that impact and shape your story? I don't know if it was, I don't know that we had the most traumatic immigration story, quite frankly, um, but I think that their childhoods um, were, were pretty rough um, having you know, being of a generation that was raised by, my grandparents survived three occupations and two wars, right? Um, the World War II and the Malayan emergency, which nobody in our family ever talks about. And we, we make it seem as if it's like some great family secret. My grandfather was in prison for five years. My grandmother was in jail. Um, my grandparents had to shave their heads like my, my great aunts and my grandma had to shave their heads to avoid being raped by Japanese soldiers during that occupation. Um, and that is a tremendous amount of struggle and trauma um, that they had to overcome. And so it is really no surprise that that was handed down to their children and then handed down to me. 
We have to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more about the impact of intergenerational trauma and check in on how you're doing now. My guest is Stephanie Fu. She's a longtime radio producer for This American Life and Snap Judgment. Her new book is What My Bones Know, a memoir of healing from complex trauma. We're also talking with Dr. Jacob Hamm. He's a clinical psychologist and Stephanie's personal therapist, who is also featured in the book. He's an associate clinical professor of psychiatry and the director of the Center for Child Trauma and Resilience at Mount Sinai in New York. We'll have more in a moment. This is Charlotte Talks on WFAE. This is Charlotte Talks. I'm Sarah Delia. I'm speaking with author and journalist Stephanie Fu, whose voice you may recognize from public radio programs like Snap Judgment and This American Life. And she recently published her first book, What My Bones Know, a memoir of healing from complex trauma. And it documents her path to finding a diagnosis after years of trauma and violent abuse as a child. Stephanie's therapist, Dr. Jacob Hom, a clinical psychologist she features in the book, also joins us now. So before the break, we were discussing um, you know, a little bit about inherited trauma and how this can impact us. And Dr. Hom, I know that you had a point that you wanted to make after Stephanie was sharing her story. So I'll let you have the floor. Sure. Um, I think that what I really wanted to say had something to do with the fact that complex trauma is actually a relational injury and the healing from it has to be relational as well. And I think you were asking Stephanie how she was able to write her book and she was doing a lot of healing. I think that she was also being held during that, those two years. She would send me drafts of the stories as she was writing them. She would have to um, reach out to her friends and we were all cir- circling her as she was doing this incredible work. Why are you smiling? For those that are on the radio right now, um, Stephanie was smiling and Dr. Hom was asking her why she was smiling. Yeah, he's he's forcing me to be grateful for the support and the love that I had while writing this book. And that's absolutely true. Um, I sent this book or drafts of it to my editor, to my good friends, Jen and Kat Chow. Um, I sent them, you know, I had my husband taking care of me and keeping me from boring myself to death during the pandemic and watching Avatar The Last Airbender with me. And then, um, yeah, I was able to send drafts of the therapy parts specifically to Dr. Hom and to other therapists in my life who were able to give me feedback on like its ethical nature and what, like if I was portraying things properly and things like that. Um, but also saying this is important. What you're writing is important. It's going to be impactful, mm-hmm. both for yourself and for others. Keep going. I did want to. This is the last segment. I did want to ask Stephanie about kind of like where you are today because you do end the book, and it's like February 2022, so very recently. And you say that you're you're four years since your diagnosis of complex PTSD, and so I wanted to ask about where you are today and what work continuously needs to keep happening. 
Um, I think overall, I'm in a pretty good place. I think that I am leaps and bounds away from my, where I was four years ago and that I have just so many more tools and so much better understanding and so much better curiosity for who I am and why I do the things that I do um, and forgiveness for who I am and why I do the things I do an understanding of how, you know, how little control I have over certain things in my life. Um, but a curiosity and passion about, you know, um, having agency over what I do, um, what over, over what I can control. Um, and I think one of the really nice things about having the book come out is I literally get at least a dozen messages a day from people telling me how impactful the book has been literally people telling me that you know it saved their life it saved their marriage um that they have hope for the first time because of this book um and I remember in one of my early sessions with Dr. Hum I was like what are the advantages of having complex PTSD and I was like crying I was like what is good about this horrible, horrible condition? And he was like, we're great healers. We're super empathetic. We can teach and preach. And like, he got into the whole wounded healer thing, which I thought was kind of abstract and bunk at the moment. But now that this book has had such a significant impact on letting other people know that they are not alone, that we're all out here struggling together and um, that there is hope for people like us. Um, I understand what he was talking about. And it is nice that there is a silver lining to the trauma that I've had to endure. And is there, Dr. Hom, I'll ask you as far as, you know, continuous treatment after you've done a lot of healing, like Stephanie has done. I mean, is this something that will, you know, have to, is, is this like more in maintenance mode, I guess, or is this something that you, someone with complex PTSD has to make sure that they are always in therapy or like, or how do you approach like the aftercare after you've done a lot of heavy lifting? Uh, it's definitely individual and um, people can have, um, I don't want to call it relapses, but it's the only word that comes to mind. It depends on like, um, when new events in life happen, like if there's a, like if, and when Stephanie has a child, we're going to have to, she's going to have to do all this work all over again, because it's going to reactivate all of her memories and her fears about how do I be a parent if I don't know what it's like to be parented and all this other stuff. Um, so people can come in for maintenance work. People can come in from new work. It's not reified. It's not like black and white. It's not a thing. It's a process. Yeah. For me, that reminds me of the fact that, you know, loss and is a really huge trigger for me because I have such abandonment issues. And, you know, my, my mother-in-law died about a year ago and that was crushing and really hard. And of course I had to go to Dr. Hum for tune-up sessions after that, you know, um, because 
loss and grief are constant in life. Life is suffering. So of course, with every new situation, you're going to have to learn. And we had to do basic work. We had to do basic work. It's just like, yes, it's okay to feel what you're feeling right now. Mm -hmm. Because you had lost the foundation of like any sense of reality testing at that point. And you just needed someone to reassure you that this is okay. It's incredibly shattering. Yeah. And in the book, you do detail how much of your husband, Joey's um, family, how important they are and how they are your family and that process that you kind of underwent to accept them and be accepted by them and that love. Um, and I, I did want to ask about, about Joey and in the book, when you, you describe the beginning of your relationship and how you kind of break down to him, like, look, it's not just me that you're dating. Like, I'm also working through this other stuff. And like, can you handle that? And I think there is this, you know, idea that you have to be a perfectly formed human being before you go into the dating world and you can't have any baggage, which is just really not realistic, especially the older we get. Mm -hmm. So what advice, Stephanie, would you have for folks that are working through things like you worked through and are trying to balance that alongside a relationship? I think being honest with um, your partner is pretty important. I think a really important thing to figure out internally is to figure out what you need from a partner and how you can ask for it. So, you know, if I'm triggered, you know, if he's going to be like, what are you triggered for? There's nothing wrong. <laughs> I need to be able to say, no, that's not what I need right now. I, I need a hug or I need to take a walk or I need X, Y, Z from you. Um, I think it can be hard for, um, partners, um, you know, supporting people who have complex PTSD to know what exactly the right thing to do is, especially because the right thing to do can be different depending on like the nature of each trigger. Um, so being able to sort of know yourself and what you need for comfort enough and having the courage to be able to ask for that is, is really important. Um, I don't know, Dr. Hound, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I was going to say that it goes back to that metaphor of the couple's relationship with yourself. It's, you have to have a really strong relationship with your own self. And when Stephanie said, what do I need? Like, you have to know what you need. The way I interpreted that was you have to be willing to sit quietly without judgment and an openness to your own internal experience to allow your needs to emerge from that one and not have all your inner critics and your fears start to come in and silence those things. So it's again, like more about like open process. And then once you learn how to do that with yourself, then you're able to apply that with other people too. Yeah. Like when I fight with my husband and I guess it's instead of sitting there being like, oh, he's being so annoying. He did this wrong. And what, and what did I ever do to deserve this or whatever? Blah, 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 blah. It's kind of just sitting for a minute and being like, what do I feel right now? I think I feel rejected. <laughs> maybe that's the core emotion that's happening here. And maybe what do I need to feel less rejected? Maybe I need acceptance. Maybe I need attention. Like, how do I ask for that <laughs> in a way that's sort of healthy? Um, it is really hard, <laughs> but, um, you know, we're working on it. 
And to also add, like, I think he's being annoying. But then not just like leaving it at that. It's like, why is he being annoying? I wonder what's going on inside of him. Right. And whether his couples, internal couples parts are like having fights too, or are they okay? Or are they triggered? Mm-hmm. So much more, so much curiosity and complexity about one small moment. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, before we have just a few minutes left, and I, I really wanted to ask you, Stephanie, about the title of the book. I love the title of the book. I think it's great. Um, one, I wanted to ask, how did you get to that title? And this may be kind of a cheesy question, but I'm going to ask anyway, what did your bones know that you didn't when you started this journey that maybe your heart and your mind didn't know? Uh, <laughs> um, wow. it honestly, I was kind of just like freaking out. Cause I didn't have a title for the book. The book used to be called the unmaking. Um, I, I, came up with that title before I like went through a lot of the healing that I did. Um, and I realized that I didn't need to be completely unmade in order to heal. I, I, I was already made and or whole in and of myself. I needed to just like shift around some of the ways that I operated. Um, and so I was just looking through the book and being like, Oh my God, I, is there, is there a titular line in here? <laughs> and, and I came across what my bones know and I was like, ah, I like that, but is it too gothy? And then um, a friend of mine in my book club, uh, Nina Zipkin, underlined it too. And she's like, no, I think this should be the title. And I was like, "Eh, okay, (laughs) Um, because it does it does get to a lot of what the book is about, which is about, you know, intergenerational trauma, how trauma is stored in the body. Um, And how you weren't how you were gaslit into thinking you didn't have trauma or that that wasn't the issue. Right. Exactly. Understanding that I had trauma in the first place, that it was, that it was not necessarily stored. I just, I just had layers and layers of trauma that were informing everything that I said and did in the way that I operated in life. And in order to have a happier life, I needed to go deep down and bury myself into that and like dig up the bones and, um, figure it out. And what do I know? What did my body know back before my brain knew it? Yeah. My, my body or my bones, I guess, knew that I had trauma. My bones knew that I had been hurt very deeply, um, from a, from my parents, not loving me when I was a kid. And that had a bigger impact than I was giving myself credit for. I was like, I'm successful. I have a job. I have a boyfriend. What do you mean trauma? I'm totally fine. And my bones knew that was not true. Um, my bones, literally my epigenome are probably carrying generations worth of trauma from, you know, sociopolitical unrest, from war, from occupation, from starvation. And my, my bones, I think deep down totally knew that there was a way out as well. There was a way to happiness and acceptance of all of those things. And I'm glad that I came to, well, not like some finality of it. Like, I mean, all healed now, but I'm glad I have a much better relationship with all of that than I used to. We have just about 90 seconds left before we have to wrap up, but I'm going to ask you each if for folks that are listening that are just starting their journey in therapy, 
what question, if you could ask a question, one question to a therapist that you were interviewing to see if it's a good fit, what should that question be? And um, Dr. Hom, I'll ask, I'll start with you. I'm not ready yet. You're not ready yet. I don't think there is one question. I think you have to ask a lot of questions. I think it has to be a conversation because I don't think you can tell from one question, whether you're going to really trust someone. I think one important question for me is, do you recognize complex PTSD as a real diagnosis? (laughs) Because I don't want anyone treating me who doesn't recognize that as my, my, like the crux of my, all of my problems being valid, you know? Um, But aside from that, I do think that it has to be a longer interrogation. And the only answer I can come up with is very relational, which is like, um, are we going to be able to talk about us? Are we going to be able to talk about what's happening between us? And is it going to be, when we talk about it, will you admit that you're contributing to what's happening between us right now? Ooh, that's juicy. I like that. That's a good one. We're going to have to leave it there. I want to thank my guest today, journalist and author, Stephanie Fu and psychologist, Dr. Jacob Hom. He's an important piece of Stephanie's book, What My Bones Know, which you can buy anywhere you get your books. Thank you both so much for the hour. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I'm Sarah D'Elia. This is Charlotte Talks. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, incorporating Mazda's customer-centric vehicle design by making the customer the center of business to create a better car buying experience. More at MazdaOfSouthCharlotte.com.